for the past few weeks, we've been talking about finances. Um, and really, it was Pastor Mitch and I decided to do this in the beginning of this COVID situation because we saw that, that um, people missing paychecks caused some immediate um, revelations of people's financial situations. It's been really good. Some people have come to me since um, our first sermon and said, hey, me and my wife or me and my family, are, we're changing some things about how we live our lives um, because, you know, what's the next thing that could happen and we want to be better prepared. So, man, I'm really, I'm really happy about that. So we're spending three weeks, and today's the third of those three weeks. We spent one week talking about the wise use of finances. We did last week, we talked about work as worship. And if you weren't here for that, um, somebody told me afterwards, they said, Pastor Mark, I was ready to quit my job. And that, and that message helped me understand how, I, how my job is just as sacred as when you preach a sermon. And I said, that was the goal, that we all have different jobs and that they're sacred. There's no sacred in the secular. Your job on Monday morning, and we, we talked about some things like, hey, if you work at Guy and O'Neill and you make disinfecting wipes, the whole world thinks we're better off right now because of that, right? And if you're at Kohler, like some of you do, and you make toilets, we think the world's a better place because of toilets, right? Right? Clem says amen, you know? And so anybody who's been a camper or a hunter says, amen, we need toilets. And so, so we looked at work as worship. Well, today, I want to talk about something else that ties to the idea of finance. Because what's interesting about finance, you go, well, really, only one of your sermons really talked about money. And that's true. Only one of them did. Work is worship. Work is how you generate income. So we've got to have a right view of it. And today, I want to talk about generosity. But in particular, I want to talk about what I think is the biblical view uh, is this, is the joy of generosity. Um, I I think that today, if you could get a hold of what we're going to talk about from God's Word, it could make you a more joyful, happier person if this is not an area that is yet developed um, in your life. We're going to talk about that. See, I've found just from my own life that generous people tend to be happy people, and I've also found the opposite to be true, that stingy people tend to be unhappy people, as a matter of fact, most people don't like to be around stingy people because it's not just their money. It, it permeates their entire lives. And here's my belief. Now, hear my full sentence. I'm going to say here a couple sentences here because right off the bat, some of you are going to, you're going to um, dismiss me when I say this. But, but hear this whole thought I want to say next. My belief is this. God wants you to be happy. Now, you're going, oh, no, God wants me to be holy, not happy. Now, here's the rest of my thought. Maybe a more accurate way of saying that is God wants you to be joy-filled. God wants you to be filled with joy, right? See, here's the nature of God, and people misunderstand the nature of God. God is the most joyous being there is. God is joyful. That's who God is. God is not sitting during this crisis, global crisis. God is not sitting in heaven right now, wringing his hands Wondering how it's going to turn out. God is not nervous and fretting and worried. God is joyful. He wants us to be filled with And he wants us to be joyous as well. He wants us to be filled with joy like he is filled with joy. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's a fruit or a result of being, of being a person who is indwelt by the Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, therefore, is joy. 
To be like him then is to be filled with joy. And the Apostle Paul quoted something that Jesus said that speaks to this. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was giving his farewell address to the church at Ephesus. And it's a church he has spent a good deal of time with. And as a matter of fact, it's a, it's a sad goodbye. They're crying on the, on the beach before he takes off. And, and while he's saying goodbye, while doing that, he's reminding them about something about his character while he had ministered in their, in their community. And he, he said to them that while he was ministering, pastoring, and preaching there, that he had provided for himself always, that he had never taken financial advantage of people. And in that, and he's just, it's kind of interesting, in his farewell address, that's what he reminds them about. I never took any financial advantage of anybody. And in that context, he then quotes Jesus. And he says this. The Apostle Paul quoting Jesus in Acts 20. Remember, this is what Paul says, remember the words of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. That he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He quotes Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What we have here is Jesus tied a life of blessing to a life of giving. That a blessed life is a giving life. A blessed life is a generous life. And we could say this, it would not be a stretch at all. Therefore, a joy-filled life, which is a blessed life, is a life of generous living. And I have found in my life, and you have probably found in your life, that nothing in life gives joy, greater joy, than what generosity does. When I'm able to bless somebody, like when I get the privilege this week of going up to Pastor Lonnie Johnson and presenting him with a check on behalf of Portview Church, that, hey, we all contributed to, I contribute part of it too, you contribute part of it too through our Kingdom Builders giving, it gives me incredible joy. I mean, there's nothing I can imagine that makes me more joyful than being able to be a blessing, to be generous, to meet a need, or not even just a need, just to be a, give abundance sometimes to somebody who's not just a need, but it just makes their life better. We feel wonderful, we feel blessed when we're joyous. So let's think about generosity this morning. What is generosity? Let's think about what it is we say, so generosity leads to joy, so what is, what is generosity? Well, I, th- I think a good understanding of generosity would be this. It's freely sharing the resources that God has blessed you with in order to be a blessing. That's what I think coming up with the definition of generosity. It's freely sharing. It's not begrudgingly, because otherwise it's not really generosity. It's, it's you know, forced obedience. So generosity is freely sharing the resources that God has blessed you and me with in order to bless other places. And if we want to think about generosity, we want to understand it, how does that work, uh, the most clearly, the only logical starting point in all the Bible to think about generosity would be to think about God himself. That God is our ultimate example of joy, and God is our ultimate example of generosity. Think about it. God created this entire world and all of his cosmos, all of this amazing world that we have. Why? For us. To give to us. To give to us. For us to enjoy. He created it for others. God didn't have to create the world. 
God was completely complete and filled with joy and loving unity in the Trinity before he created us and created this world. He did not, he does not need us to be happy, but he created all of this for others. That's generosity. That's freely sharing the resources that you have to bless others so they can be blessed. That's generosity. You know, I was thinking about this the other night in a very odd way. Um, the other night, Suzanne made the best dessert in the world. What's the best dessert in the world? What is it? Fluff? Ah. Cheesecake. Okay. I. One more. What? What? Chocolate cake? I can beat them all. You've, most of you have never had this before. It's peach enchiladas. It's a recipe Suzanne got from her mom that she got down in the south. And, um, and when we go there, her mom made it one time. I'm like, it sounds terrible. It actually has Mountain Dew in it. It's, you cook it with Mountain Dew. And it's basically peaches wrapped in, um, what are those things? You pop them, crescent rolls, and then it's a bunch of other stuff, and then dumped... Um, you, you dump Mountain Dew over it and you bake it. And you'd say, it sounds disgusting. It is the best dessert you've ever eaten in your life. And here's what I was thinking about, about peach enchiladas. While I was re- preparing the sermon, I thought about peach enchiladas for this reason. It's about generosity. It has peaches in it. Where did peach come from? A tree. Where did a tree come from? God. God didn't have to make a peach tree. He didn't have to make a peach tree and an apple tree and an orange tree and a lemon tree and a plum tree and a cherry tree. And God didn't have to do that. But he did. Why? To express generosity. God did not have to make wheat grow. Now, I'm pretty sure what makes up that little crescent roll is wheat, flour, you know, and um, eggs probably. And I don't know what else goes into a crescent roll. But so, so God made a chicken. So he could give us an egg. And he made wheat grow that somebody could grind up and make flour out of to make a crescent roll. Before Pillsbury Doughboy ever put it in a little roll so you punch it and woo, you know, and you pop it in the front. Before that ever happened, God made wheat. Think about it. You didn't think about that when you ate. God didn't have to make wheat and barley. He didn't have to make all that stuff. Then God made this other thing. And it's one of the worst things about about the Mountain Dew and the rest of um, sugar cane. God didn't have to make sugar cane. And I know we get sugar from multiple other things, but sugar cane is processed and we get sugar out of it. And sugar is like the Achilles heel of American health. We understand that. But I'm sure glad that God made sugar cane because when you mix it all together and you pour the Mountain Dew over it and whatever else he puts on it and you bake it in the oven and you put vanilla ice cream, God did not need to make vanilla beans. And cows that make milk that you get cream from to make ice cream. Just think of it. God didn't have to. He could have just made manna like he did in the wilderness and said, guess what? Year 56, day whatever, you know, 142 of manna. But God is generous. That's the epitome of generosity. And I'm eating, I'm writing this, and I'm thinking about peach enchiladas. And I'm going, without God being generous, I couldn't eat peach enchiladas. I won't even talk about what's in Mountain Dew because it's all chemicals, and, and God would probably say, yeah, I shouldn't be eating that. 
or drinking that. So, but then I was at, I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking my vacation that was two weeks ago. Northern Wisconsin, I think I already said to you last week that God lives in Bowler Junction, Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure he does. It's gorgeous. The lake, Fish Trap Lake we stay on, rent a cabin for years and years and years, has, has you know, eagles that live there year-round and loons, and they reproduce every year. Matter of fact, Suzanne saw a bald eagle trying to catch a loon, try to kill a loon, which I didn't know they killed loons. Well, they do. It was dive bombing the loon, and the loon kept. And she said, "The funniest thing is the loon. You know, they make that loon sound." And matter of fact, you see Callie ask her what a loon makes because Callie makes a nice loon sound. Now we taught her how to do it. And so the loon was in the middle of its sound. I don't even know how to. Somebody make a loon sound for me, <laughs> okay? There you go, mid woo. <laughs> and the eagle came and it dove under the water while the loon was doing it. And when the eagle flew away, the loon came up coughing and spitting because it had sucked water in while it was making its loon sound. You know, it's gorgeous. There's islands in the lake, and it's beautiful, and it's full of all kinds of different fish. And that's what we're there to do. It's beautiful. It's abundant. It's generous. The world is a generous gift from God. One of, those, one of the statements that has changed my life the most in the last seven or eight years from a book called The Good and Beautiful God from James Bryan Smith, he says, ugly, drab, not have to make a beautiful world. God could have made an ugly, drab world that only, the only, what's the only one fruit we don't want to really eat? I don't know, that would, one tree, I don't know. Grapefruit, the only tree is a grapefruit tree. We go, well, I got to eat it, it's all there is to eat. Boy, thank you, Lord, for this grapefruit again. Think of it. God gave us this incredible, beautiful world. So, if we want to understand abundance, we want to understand generosity, we think about God first. And beyond creation, God's ultimate revelation of his generosity is when he himself came to you and me. You know, God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life, that's talking about God giving of himself to save humankind. Jesus is the ultimate example of generosity. People say, well, how could God, you know, a whipping boy, he sent someone else. No, God didn't send somebody else. In generosity, God himself came to humankind and gave of himself to make our lives better. That's what generosity is. It's taking what you have and sharing it with somebody else to make their life better. That is salvation in Christ. Now, let's remember something about our Christian walks. And this is my opinion, but I think it's right. (laughs) Okay? And I've come to it after many years, and it's not what I would have said 20 years ago. And I say this. Our number one goal in our Christian walk is to become more like God. Our number one goal is to become transformed in Christ-likeness to be developed in the character and the quality and the fruit of God. Therefore, developing in generosity is a wonderful part of our progress of spiritual growth and development. Since God is ultimately generous, and our number one goal is to become more like God, one of the ways we become more like God, we never become God, but we are made in His image, one of the ways we bear His image out more fully is we grow in our, in our we develop in generosity. Christian growth 
is about, one of the areas, it's about developing, growing in generosity so we more fully reflect the image of Jesus. So the starting point for understanding generosity is to see God as our example that we're going to be shaped into. That makes sense? So the starting point of thinking about generosity is to think about God and what he's like, and we open up our hearts and say, God, make me more like you. Are you willing to do that in your life? God, make me more like you? Well, one of the ways that's expressed is through generosity. Now, I think the next logical step in understanding generosity then is to learn from the man who wrote, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about half of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and to see what his wisdom is on this topic. So let's look at Paul's teaching about about, um, generosity to his young protege, Timothy, that he had much to say about generosity. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing to his his ministry protege, one of the many, but one that he dearly loved, young Timothy. And he's going to write to him, he's going to write to him about about, um, his view towards resources and generosity. And let's, let's see what he has to say. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start reading at verse 6, verses 6 to 11 first. You there? 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 6. I hope you got this highlighted in your Bible. If you don't, you highlight it right now. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out, with it, out either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'll stop right there. In this part of his letter... Paul, remember, this is a personal letter written from Paul to his protege, Timothy. Paul is warning Timothy about the danger of being greedy. That's the kind of warning against the opposite of Genesis, the verses in the chapter preceding. He's talking about the opposite, warning against the opposite of generosity. So he writes about a proper view of wealth and of money, and look at what he says. First of all, he says in verses 6 through 8, godliness with contentment is the greatest goal. It's the best life. He calls it great gain. He's contrasting it with others within the church who use their position to get money from others. Paul is explaining to Timothy that the best view towards money, towards resources, is to be content with what you have as long as your basic needs are met. He says you can't take anything to the grave. So if you have enough food and shelter, he says, really, that's enough, Timothy. And I was thinking about this. I thought, think about how peaceful how enjoyable, how simple our lives would be if we really embraced this teaching in our society. And I'm saying, I'm not there yet. I'm trying to move that direction. But how simple would our lives be? How much stress would be reduced? You know, that's why he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says it's valuable. It's being truly rich is to be, have the heart of Christ and be content with what you have. So he says, so that's the starting point. But look at what Paul then says next in verse 9. He says, but, always pay attention to what says but or however. He says, but he basically saying, but that's not what people usually do. 
but desiring to get rich, he says, has a lot of dangers. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is where the famous quote is from, the love of money is the root of all evils. Look at at the evil Paul says, loving money, not being content with what you have can produce. He says it can be a snare. It can be foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It can cause some to wander from the faith. It has pierced people with many griefs. Now be honest with me. That's not a pretty picture, is it? Isn't it strange that in our culture, amassing wealth for most people is people's number one priority. But the Apostle Paul says that this path is filled with landmines. And what's his advice to his young protege? He just says, listen, Timothy, be very careful. He says that in our, in our accumulating, we don't love, it's the word, love money. We don't place a high value on, it's such a high value that it becomes our pursuit of life. We don't pursue it as our number one goal. And remember the context here. These are, a, these are the loving words of advice from Paul the elder to his young pastor, protege, Timothy. What he's saying is it's a heartfelt warning. It's, he's not being critical. He's saying, listen, I want to save you from grief. And that's why verse 11, he then warns Timothy what? To flee. He says, but flee from these things, Timothy, and pursue a better life. And look how he says the better, what's a better life that he says than going after a lot of money? Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Pursue those things. Um, It would take my entire, I've looked at those verses, I said, I don't have to go any further. I could spend my entire life saying, God, I just want to, if I just spent my life trying to have those things worked out in my character, I wouldn't have to try anything else. So that's where, Paul, that's where Paul starts with Timothy. He says, listen, be warned. Be warned. There's a lot of dangers that can come with pursuing money. And then, um, and, that, and that's the first part of what Paul is to say to Timothy. But he doesn't stop there. He, he goes on and he adds something. And the next part he's going to add, we all need to hear. Because it brings balance to what he's saying. Let's see what he says next about dealing with the proper view towards wealth. Flip over if it may be, or look a couple of verses down to verse 17. Look what he says here. Starting in verse 17 to 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be of a good foundation, be generous and be ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What he says here is so important. First of all, I want you to notice something. He says, he says here, uh, instruct those who are rich. Stop right there. Instruct those who are rich. We need to notice this because the church has made a lot of mistakes about this in the past. It would have been easy to read the first section that we read from, from Paul to Timothy to read that and to conclude that Christians should never accumulate any wealth. 
It's all wrought with danger. So just give it all away, live with nothing. It'd be easy to conclude that, but clearly here that's not Paul's intention. Because he writes to those Christians, he says, who are rich, who do have a lot. He doesn't demonize them. Rather, he gives them really important advice. He understands that in the church, there's always going to be some who have more and some who have less. So what's Paul's advice to those who have, who he calls here rich? The first thing he says to them, and this is so important, especially in our world, is don't be conceited. And I would say this is maybe the toughest one of all. Don't be conceited. Why? Because it is so easy when you have to look down on those who have less. It is so easy to get the view that you are better than them because somehow you've accomplished or attained or gained more. But in God's view, surely the amount of money that someone has does not determine their value. But in our world, money gives you a voice. Money says you're more valuable. I can make it, prove it. Why in the world else during the last three months where we give a hoot about what Bill Gates has to say about the coronavirus. I mean that, and I'm not, a, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not saying Bill Gates is part of a conspiracy. I don't think he is. I think he's a rich man who's trying to do good. I really think that. I really do believe that. I believe he's, he's given t- billions to world health issues. But Bill Gates is not a doctor. Who do I want to listen to in this time? A doctor, a scientist. Somebody who, that's their education. But what's going on in our world? The guy's got one of the richest men on the planet, so what he says matters. I think it proves the point. Money gives you a voice. It gives you value. And Paul is warning Christians to not fall into this false trap of thinking you are more valuable or you're more capable or you're smarter or you're better than someone who has less than you have. That is natural to be that way, but Christianity, we are called to be countercultural, different than the culture around us. And we must look at somebody and never, never judge them, never devalue them based on how much money is in their bank account and how many assets that they have. But Paul's writing this because that's the normal thing that human beings do. Then look what Paul says next to those who are the haves, who he, says, he calls rich. He says, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Well, I think... We could just say, well, look at the last couple months. There's been a lot of people that have been learning this lesson during this COVID time. One day, everybody's flying high, unemployment's low, businesses are booming, and the next, due to something no one could foresee, the bottom drops out. And that's what Paul Paul's warning us about, that it all can be gone in a flash with no fault on your part at all. You could have been doing everything right. And the bottom falls out. So Paul says, learn to trust. Learn to depend on God instead of on your wealth. He says, God is stable. Wealth is not. God is eternal. Wealth is not. And then after this advice, Paul moves on to how those who have should then use what they have, use their abundance. What's he say? He says, if you have, if you have more than you need, if you have abundance, he says, what do you do with it? Do good. Be generous. Be ready to share. Those are the things he lists. Be good, be ge- do good, be generous, be ready to share with those who have less. Now let's remember why Paul, let's wrap this up. Remember why Paul would say this. 
He knows that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's where we started. Generous life is the best life, the most enjoyable life. So he tells those who have, do good, be justable. That's why he, he wants you to have the best life possible. That's why he's saying it. It's not about making your life worse. It's about making your life better. And beyond that, Paul says it's about making your eternity better. Look at verse 19 as we wrap close. Storing up for yourselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. He's basically quoting what Jesus said again. Jesus said, storing up treasures in heaven. Now let me explain this to you really briefly because a lot of people misunderstand this. That's not about having a heavenly bank account. So some people have thought, I'm storing my treasures in heaven. I'm going to have more gold in heaven. Well, the streets are made out of gold, so that's no big deal in heaven. It's about developing you into the right kind of person for eternity. Growing in generosity is making you more like Jesus. It's preparing you for eternity. Dallas Willard says it like this, and it's just a a quote that that is hanging on my office wall, and I look at it almost every day. It says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become, because that's what you will take into eternity. So look at this. How we view, how we use our resources that have been entrusted to us has both the power to do much harm, shipwreck people's faith, Empowered to do much good. Develop Christ's likeness for eternity, for now and for eternity in you, and that is powerful. And the question is, which do you want? Do you want to live by the world system, by the world's value system, where enough is just a little bit more? You know, just live that life and slap a cross on your life and say, I'm living for Jesus, but really you're living by completely by the world system. It's so easy to have it happen. Is that what you want? Or do you want to live by God's values? His guidelines, you know, that, that, that says godliness with contentment is great gain. So be content with what you have and generous with the extra. And clearly Paul says God's way leads to the best life here and for eternity. And I just say this in closing, it's your choice. So choose wisely. Choose wisely. It's laid out really clearly for us here. Choose wisely. Which do you want? As I read the words of Paul to Timothy, it challenged me again and said, Lord, free me from the lie of the world that just says more is better and fill me with the belief that the greatest life is a generous life so that I can use whatever you give me and I'll just be a conduit that it flows through. That Portview Church will be a conduit and just flow through to be a blessing in the world so that we can live out the joy because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? Stand with me. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for being so crazy generous to us that, Lord, um, you gave us something beyond a grapefruit tree. Thank you. And that, Lord, you Love us so much that you just pour out your abundance. Lord, help us to reflect you to this world by being the same. 
by reflecting your abundance, your generosity to the people we encounter today. Lord, speak to our hearts somehow in these next moments, in these next days, that we have a situation where we can meet it and that little voice comes on and reminds us about your word and says, hey, I can be generous. And Lord, I know this, that as we're generous and we give, you pour back more into us so that we can give even more. Help us live out that truth. Help us to live out that life for your glory. So Lord, now I pray, let your blessings rest upon every single person in this place. Help us to walk in your grace and your light and share your love everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Enjoy God's abundance. Amen.